Well, shares have climbed in the US, bond yields are falling, the US dollar is down. How much of this is the market interpreting the RBA decision yesterday, which saw rates rise by half the expected amount, as a sign that other banks, like the Fed, might start to cool things down a little as well? And then the job openings data might have added to that thinking. One million fewer jobs advertised in August in the United States. But hey, it's only one day. Could it all be an overreaction? We'll look at that today. It's Wednesday, the 5th of October, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the share market is back in fashion in the United States. It seems at close today, a 3.3% rise in the NASDAQ, 3.1% for the S&P and 2.8% up for the Dow. The Russell 2000 up 3.9%, actually the biggest rise it's had since early 2021. But some bigger rises in Europe as well, with the Eurostox 50 up almost 4.3%. The same for the CAC Caront. The DAX up 3.8%. The FTSE 100 has gained 2.6% as well. Uh, maybe things are getting back to normal there. Uh, we've got a big fall on the US dollar. It's lost more than 1.4% on the DXY, the big winner, the euro, up 1.7% this morning. The pound is up another 1.3%. The Aussie, well, it's down. It's losing 0.2%, although it's much worse than that earlier. It's now around 65 US cents. Oil is on the rise again, 3.1% added to WTI, another 3% on Brent, which is now over 91.50 a barrel. And ban- bonds are back in demand, pushing yields down. Just one basis point for 10-year treasuries in the US, but UK 10-year gilts are down nine basis points. So yeah, maybe life is getting back to normal. German 10-year bonds down five as well. Uh, and after the RBA yesterday, Aussie 10-year yields fell quite a bit. Let's start with that, with Sally Old from JB Weir in Sydney. So a bit of a surprise, wasn't it, that the RBA didn't go for 50 basis points. And we've seen a fall in Aussie bond yields as a result. 10 years down 17 basis points yesterday. Three-year yields down 31 basis points. That is quite a move, quite a reaction to that 25 basis point rise yesterday. Some huge moves on bond markets yesterday, Phil. Um, that, that was a real surprise, I think, for the market. The market had really settled on the RBA delivering another 50 basis point rate hike. Um, and that was basically because the data since early September has been pretty good. So solid labour market data, solid consumption data, uh, NAB business survey still looking really good. But I guess, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, the hints were there. Um, we knew from the minutes of the September meeting that they did discuss doing a 25 or a 50. So they were pretty clear about saying that was what the debate or the choice was. Um, and then, of course, uh, the governor had made some comments in, in public speeches around this idea that, you know, the closer you, you get to neutral, um, the closer you get to slowing the pace of, of rate hikes. And so I think in the end, there were two things going on. I mean, they explicitly referenced this idea that they had raised rates pretty rapidly over the last four or five months. But also I think, um, you know, given everything going on globally, um, it seems to me like you know maybe there's a growing concern um, within the RBA that the global backdrop just warranted perhaps just a little bit more caution. And we heard yesterday actually the the treasurer um, talking about you know coming into his first budget later this month that you know they are really. I guess, preparing that budget with a, a much weaker global backdrop in mind. So do you think, though, this is stretched beyond Australia? So, I mean, we had four 50 basis points in a, uh, rises in a row, which has now been broken. And you could sort of say, well, that means the hard work's been done in Australia now and it's it's fine-tuning and, and watching the numbers. Do you think that's that's the view that's been taken overseas and people have looked and, you know, 
added to the jolts numbers, uh, which we'll come to in a second, and say, oh, well, you know, maybe, you know, people are talking about, you know, are, are the Fed going to pivot? Is this a contributor to uh, central banks starting to ease off now? You know, because they've done it in Australia, and we're expecting that they were going to do so much more. Yeah, absolutely. I think the markets probably run with that narrative. I think um, it is interesting in the sense that the RBA has been prosecuting this narrative that we're a little bit different in Australia. So we have heard RBA officials say, look, you know, things are a bit different here. We don't have headline inflation that's as high as it is in some other jurisdictions like the UK or or Europe. And we also don't have wages growth, which is anywhere near as elevated as it is in in the US. And so... We don't get our gas from Russia. Correct, correct as well. So we don't have that issue to deal with. Um, And so the RBA have sort of said that. So we think, you know, maybe there's a case for some Australian exceptionalism and we could be a little bit different. Um, So I think, you know, the market... Uh, particularly equity markets are probably, mm. as you said, in conjunction with the jolts data, have wanted to run with this this narrative and say, well, maybe we're closer to a Fed pivot than than we thought was the case. Um, but I think it sounds uh, like a bit of clutching at straws, though, doesn't it? Really, to, uh, to 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 pick on Australia, you know, which most Americans would see as being at the end of the world. Yeah, I think and- so. I think I think that's fair, and I also think. You know, what worries me a little bit is that you know it might just be a little bit too early for the RBA to be declaring you know, that Australia yeah. is materially different to everyone else. Um, and the next couple of months, I think, will be really important for, for telling us whether that narrative is right because we do get another inflation number later this month and then, of course, we get a, a quarterly wages number in November. And, you know, those two numbers, I think, are going to be very significant in terms of, you know, thinking about where to from here for rates locally. Mm. And, of course, you know, there were the massive moves in the share market. That's uh, been the big move overnight, hasn't it, in the United States? Two big days in a row now, two big moves. And a chunk of that has come from the jolts numbers, the job openings. We had a big drop in job openings, less than 10.1 million jobs available now, down from 11.2 million. So more than a million less in a month, which, of course, the Fed is going to like uh, because, uh, you know, they, they like a weaker job market. This is presumably going to be an excuse to assume that the Fed won't go so hard, hence more pivot talk. Yeah, that's right. So the, these data, I think, are, are really um, going to put some fuel on the fire for that that whole story around, well, you know, maybe we can engineer the soft landing because what we really need to do is just take some heat out of the labour market. So if we can cool labour demand without causing sort of too much disruption to the labour market and pushing the unemployment rate too much higher, then you know, that, that actually opens up the scenario where we could we could deliver a soft landing. And so as you said, we we saw jolts or job openings down 10% in August, so they're now 15% off their peak. Mm. That's a pretty decent decline. Um, still 1.67 job openings per person, though, so it's still a no, pretty totally. tight labour market, isn't it? Absolutely, and when we look at them in level terms, you know, they're still well above pre-pandemic yeah. levels. Um, so I don't think the job is yet done, and and you know maybe markets have been a little bit premature to, to sort of rush to the conclusion that, you know, the Fed's back on track to, to deliver well, um, a soft landing. Fortunately, we don't have to wait too long, do we, to get uh, another stab at this because we get non-farm payrolls, of course, on Friday, which is the number that really, really everyone does pay attention to. And not just the top line number, but also the wages data, obviously, is going to be pretty important in that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the market's looking for you know, a little bit of a moderation in, in jobs growth um, in, in the next set of payrolls numbers. But, you know, unemployment rate still expected to, to sit at 3.7%. So, 
as you said, still a really, really tight labour yeah. market. The and US. the other influence on shares, uh, well, the, the Twitter share price is the fact that Elon Musk is now saying he plans to go ahead with his acquisition at the original agreed price of fifty four twenty. I love that. He sort of talked it down. He sort of trashed uh, the brand, <laughs> but are you still prepared to buy it? <laughs> hey, you know, that's Elon Musk for you. So, look, all the action has been in shares. It's been in bonds as well. But the uh, the US dollar falling away quite a bit as well. So I guess that is just uh, that, that's the reaction to, to movement in bonds, isn't it? I think so, and I think that's just the currency market's version of you know jumping on this Fed pivot story that you mm. know maybe the Fed's closer to pivoting than we think, and obviously reflecting just the the broader risk on tone, as you said, in markets with equities having a really solid rise and and bond yields remaining um, you know sort of stable to broadly lower in most developed markets. So. You know, I don't. I don't think there's a, a huge story there, but I just think it tells you that you know most markets were were all in sync overnight. Yeah. Well, what are they going to do though if uh, the RBNZ uh, comes out with a, a 25 basis point uh, rate hike? I mean, it's the same deal, isn't it? Markets are expecting 50. If they come out with 25, is it going to go? Ah, here's another sign for a Fed pivot. Yeah, potentially. I mean, the, the market's price for a 50 basis point rate hike. I think 20 out of 22 economists are expecting it um, today. So that'll see the. If that's delivered, the uh, cash rate there go from three to three and a half percent. So that'll take it back to where it was in uh, 2014. Um, having said that, you know Adrian Orr, the the RBNZ governor, has said recently that um, the tightening cycle in New Zealand was very mature and and well advanced. Um, so mm. you would expect after the RBA yesterday, you know the traders will go into this meeting a little bit nervous that the, that the RBNZ might deliver. Um, a surprise, but they've been really clear about saying, you know, there's there's one game in town for them, and that's inflation. And so they've been pretty res- resolute, pushing forward with rate hikes, despite the fact that some of the data there, you know, have really started to weaken, and that's particularly around house prices, um, but also importantly consumption as well. So. That'll be an interesting mm. one to watch later today. Well, there was the quarterly survey of business opinion yesterday in New mm. Zealand and uh, expected trading conditions fell to minus 14 in the, the September quarter from minus 12 in June. Uh, they've never had two negative quarters in those readings before without going into a recession. So uh, that presumably means, you know, we can we can ride off the idea that they're going to go to higher than 50 basis points. But again, you know, that could be... Well, it doesn't. We, it, could, it could be ammunition for them going softer. But as you say, like a lot of central banks, if we have a recession, we have to cope with it. It's inflation that we're trying to compete uh, against. Yeah, that's right. And I think in that quarterly survey, you know, there were some hints that we are a little bit more confident that inflation has probably peaked in, in New Zealand. But, you know, the mm. level of inflation still remains well above um, the RBNZ's inflation target. So, yes, I think that'll be an interesting one. It's not a, a monetary policy statement, so we won't get a new set of forecasts. Um, you know, what we'll have instead is is just a, a, a statement from the RBNZ and, and you would imagine economists are going to scour that pretty pretty carefully to, to get a sense of, you know, how close we really are to, to the end of the cycle. But the RBNZ was pretty early to the game, so it makes sense that, you know, that they'll, they'll finish probably earlier than some other central banks. Um, and so this is, I think, the game that the market's probably going to play in New Zealand, which is really just trying to gauge how close are we to to the very end of the cycle. Yeah, and oil prices edging up still further. So that 1 million plus barrels that was expected to be cut by OPEC uh, or OPEC plus later today, that seems to have morphed into an expectation of 2 million barrels a day now. I mean, you really can't fight OPEC, can you, when they they decide on the price? Uh, Quite a few analysts actually predicting the oil could get back up to $100 or more. Actually, it doesn't have that much more to go, does it really? Yeah, that's right. So, 
you know, this time yesterday we were sitting there, as you said, um, you know, thinking that a, a cut of a million barrels was, was the right number and then that, that suddenly doubled overnight. So that's been another good session for oil. So Brent up, uh, you know, a little bit over 3%. And as you said, sort of sitting in the low 90s, so not that far from the, the $100 a barrel level. I think the interesting thing here is that, you know, a lot of analysts are saying that, you know, even though 2 million sounds like a large number, there are a lot of OPEC countries who aren't producing anywhere near their quotas. So yes, um, yeah. when that number is decided, the actual cut in supply um, is not probably going to be as, as great as the headlines suggest. But I think this is, again, you know, just a symptom of, of oil producers trying to get a sense of, you know, what is the underlying demand out there for, for oil um, in, a, in a backdrop that, that does seem, you know, a little bit more fragile for the global economy than perhaps was the case Six months so, Sally, where does risk sit right now, given that, you know, aside from obviously there's a risk about, you know, what a central bank's going to do. And everyone is obviously completely preoccupied with that. But in the meantime, North Korea is firing a missile over Japan. Uh, you know, we've got people scurrying for shelter in, in Japan. This is, hasn't happened for years. And it went four and a half thousand kilometers, which the BBC is saying today is enough for them to hit Guam if they wanted to, where the US, of course, has a military base. We've got the UK's uh, Royal Navy, which is uh, patrolling the North Sea now, looking for any submarines that might be sabotaging the Nord Stream pipeline or other pipelines. Imagine if they found a, a Russian submarine uh, caught them red handed. What would that do uh, to international concerns? And then we've got Joe Biden committing another 625 million in military to Ukraine, bringing their total to 16.8 billion. Uh, I mean, it's war, military threats, all just bubbling along. I mean, in in normal times, uh, you know, this would we'd be looking, we'd be paying a great deal of attention to markets to be driven by this geopolitical risk. Right now, it seems like we've sort of like this is all just the sideshow. The real issue is the central banks, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And so yesterday, you know, when those headlines of uh, the North Korean missile came through, you know, it was almost like markets didn't didn't even blink um, when those headlines yeah. popped up on the screen. Um, and so I think I think you are right. I think at the moment it, it is all about central banks and it is all about, you know, how far they are willing to push rates and what the consequences of, of that might be in terms of what it means for the outlook for the, those big economies, particularly the U.S., um, Europe and, and the UK in 2023. Um, but I feel like this whole sort of um, backdrop of broader geopolitical risk is, is probably something that markets are just going to have to get used to. Um, you know, there's a, I think there's a, a pretty compelling argument to say that this is the new normal um, for, for all of us mm. and for markets. Um, sadly. Yeah, sadly. Yeah. And, and it does feel like for whatever reason, we are going to be living in a world that does feel a bit more volatile from a geopolitical risk perspective. And probably also from a macroeconomic perspective. So that is, I think, in general, a more difficult environment for markets because markets are going to have to get used to pricing in a bit more risk premium. But as you said, at the moment, it's all about the central banks um, and, and you know, how far they are willing to push rates and how close we might be to the peak in that cycle. Why can't we all just get along, Sally? What is wrong with us, I wonder? <laughs> Look, today, Germany's uh, balance of trade numbers uh, and for the US and Canada as well, plus uh, services PMIs mm-hmm. for Europe and non-manufacturing ISM for the US as well. So there's lots of numbers today. Yeah, that's right. So I think those services PMIs will be interesting because we have seen the manufacturing PMIs um, quite a bit weaker, um, you know. Obviously, the the ISM in in the US disappointed on on Friday night, and those manufacturing PMIs in Europe have been quite a bit weaker. And I guess that makes sense given what we know is going on in the global economy. But there has been this story that you know it's not less about goods and it's much more about services. So there's been this expectation that the service sector would be 
more resilient. So I guess we'll see, um, you know, whether that's still the right story um, when we see those PMI numbers um, tonight in Europe and the US. And US trade balance has had a huge narrowing. So that the trade deficit was pretty big earlier in the year, and that started to turn around quite significantly, I think in large part as, as commodity prices have come off. But um, that'll also be there watching as well. And I think a lot of economists in the US now are starting to say, well, you know what, with the the US dollar as strong as it is, um, you know, trade is going to be that part of the economy that actually detracts from GDP through next mm. year and, and mm. probably into 24 as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we'll watch all of that today. Great to have you on, Sally. Uh, we'll catch you again next time. Thank you. A pleasure. Thanks, Phil. Bye-bye. And we know, of course, it could all come crashing down again tomorrow. You'll find out tomorrow on The Morning Call. I'll be back. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Have a great day. See you in the morning. <laughs>